All right, Alexander, let's uh, do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. And I think we have a lot of fog of, of war going on here. Um, we've got more statements from Prigozhin. We've got rumors of Zaluzhny's, let's just say his, his no-show at a NATO meeting. Uh, the Russians continue to, to hit um, Ukraine military facilities and weapons, uh, depots and stuff like that. I imagine these are all the, all the facilities that Ukraine is going to draw on for the uh, big offensive. And then, of course, you have the big offensive where uh, Elensky told the BBC the other day that he needs some time now for the offensive. Prigozhin says that Elensky is, uh, is, is being clever and we've already, we've already got the offensive. There, there's just all kinds of uh, a fog of war. And the, uh, the Kremlin is absolutely silent. Yes. I mean, absolutely Which is, silent. Yes. Actually, since the, the most interesting thing is that there was, according to the Kremlin, an assassination attempt on, uh, on the president of the Russian Federation. And you know, I don't think Putin has addressed that at all, which, which is pretty incredible yes. when you think about it. it. It is incredible. And bear in mind that next year, Russia has presidential and parliamentary elections coming. I don't think there are many governments in the world which, faced with a situation like this, would be maintaining this incredible disciplined silence to the extent that the Russian government is and would be getting away with it because the Russian government is getting away with it. I mean, you know, I I am incredulous. I'm exasperated by it because, as you said, there's a huge amount of fog of war and uncertainty and bizarre things going on. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about how bizarre some of the things that are happening actually are. But, you know, uh, very bizarre things going on. And yet, as you correctly say, the Kremlin remains completely silent. I mean, Peskov did give an interview to serve television. Um, he did say that, you know, they continue with the special military operation. They will carry it out in their own slow, gradual, incremental way in order to prevent devastation and too many people being killed. He said, you know, that Prigozhin and Bakhmut, well... It's not up to him. It's up to Prigozhin, basically, whether Wagner stays or goes in Bakhmut. But basically, he really didn't say very much. He didn't really talk about the assassination and attempt which the Russians alleged took place. And Putin himself, as you say correctly, has not even addressed this issue at all. I mean, it's as if nothing like that happened. But let's let's talk about the situation on the ground. And I'm going to suggest this. I think that over the last 24 hours, we have vast amounts of okay. fog. But it did. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But as, as you address the situation on the ground, can you also address if the silence from the Kremlin invites more aggression from the collective West? It does, it does invite aggression for the collective West. And at the same time, I think it creates uncertainty in the collective West. So on the one hand, I think many people in the West say, well, this silence from Putin, this silence from the Russians um, shows that we can go on doing all sorts of extreme things with Ukraine. And, um, you know, 
There's no reason, therefore, to hold back. I think there are people who say that. But I also think that there are other people who find this all very inscrutable and who are finding it stressful. <laughs> They're saying, what are the Russians going to do? They're left guessing all the time about Moscow's next moves, Putin's next moves. And I think this is actually having an effect on nerves. And we're going to talk about this because more than anything else, and I'm going to talk about briefly the situation on the ground, but we are now in a war of nerves. And it's becoming, it's beginning to take a toll on everybody. It's affecting Prigozhin himself, by the way. But we are in a war of nerves. Now, about the situation on the ground, we have a little bit of more information. I mean, we had... Quite a lot of information coming out of Bakhmut itself. This is the town yesterday and this morning. And it's now very clear that despite Prigozhin's threats to pull out of Bakhmut, his forces are advancing there. The Ukrainians say that they've seen no sign of any slackening in Ukrainian Russian artillery strikes on them in Bakhmut. The uh, Wagner forces have apparently captured more territory, and there's a Russian soldier who's in Bakhmut, a Wagner organization soldier. He's told Norvosti, which is a big Russian news agency, there's only 740 meters to go. We've only got 740 meters to go, and we've taken all of Bakhmut. And, you know, the Russians, bear in mind, are advancing between 130 meters and 200 meters a day, according to. Prigozhin himself, so it doesn't seem as if there's very much left to take. Um, what we were getting yesterday and the day before, and a lot of this comes from Prigozhin himself, lots of talk, lots of reports, appearing in the media as well in the West about Ukrainian counterattacks on the flanks. It's not entirely easy to make much sense of that. But my overall sense is, my own personal view is, at the moment, these look to be part of the ebb and the flow of the fighting around Bakhmut. They're no different in substance from what's been happening around Bakhmut for some time. It doesn't look to me as if what the Ukrainians have achieved by these counterattacks amounts to very much or is changing the situation in the town itself. Whereas, as I said, the Wagner forces still seem to be advancing. So that's Bakhmut. That's all I think we can say about that. Lots of Russian, Russians of reports about Russian advances in other places. Situation in Avdeevka looks very bad for Ukraine. I've just seen a map produced by the Rebar Collective. It looks like Avdeevka is all but encircled. And, you know, that's even more encircled than Bakhmut has been. Lots of reports about bitter battle in a place called Belogorovka, lots of Russian missile strikes and drone strikes. I mean, the, the Russian drone and missile campaign has very heavily intensified over the last couple of weeks. But as I said, I don't think we can piece everything together. The big news is that Zelensky's come out, he's given an interview with the BBC. He says... Ukraine is postponing its offensive. Zeluzny is refusing to speak to NATO officials. 
And as far as I can see, General Sirsky, who's the ground forces of commander, has basically gone absent from the battlefronts instead of touring the battlefronts in Zaporozhye where this offensive is supposed to be happening. He has basically made himself the local commander of the Ukrainian forces in Bakhmut, where he seems to be fighting his own private war with Prigozhin. So essentially what the Ukrainians are saying is we don't want to carry out this offensive now. We haven't got enough men, we don't have enough machines, we're being hammered by the Russians, we've got all of these missile strikes going on, we want to have an awful lot more of everything, we want aircraft, we want surface-to-air missiles, we can show you what we can do, we shot down a Kinjal missile over Kiev, except it's been denied by their own air defence forces. The mayor was shown, the mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, was shown showing the remnants of what he said was a Kinjal missile. Everybody could see immediately that it wasn't, that it was a, um, a Russian bomb, not a missile at all. But anyway, that's you know what the Ukrainians are doing. And... As I said, Sirsky is absent without leave. He's now basically the tactical commander in Bakhmut and, Prigoz uh, and Zeluzhny isn't answering calls. There was rumours flying around yesterday that both of these generals had been killed. I don't believe it. I think they're both far too embarrassed to talk with Western officials at the moment. Or, and in Sirsky's case, he clearly doesn't want to be seen in any way associated with plans for an, an, an offensive, which he clearly doesn't believe in. So that's, that's, I think, where we are. And I also get the impression that the Western governments, on their part, are furious about this. They were promised the offensive, they gave their tanks, they gave their infantry fighting vehicles in... Uh, you know, return for a promise of an offensive. They're not getting this offensive. And they're very, very angry. And we see lots of indications of this in all sorts of places. Bloomberg is now saying we gave all of these weapons to Ukraine. They got all that they wanted. Borrell is saying it. They've got all that they need. Blinken is saying it. They've got all that they need. We've also provided them with all this training. And here they come back and they say it's not enough. Uh, and, you know, whoever gets as much as they want before launching an offensive. So the Westerners are at the Western sponsors are angry, but the Ukrainians are saying, sorry, we just can't do it now. And, and the Russians are destroying those weapons. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the that's the issue is that the more this delays, the more the Russians degrade the weapons that NATO and the West have given yeah. To uh, to the Ukrainians. Do, do you think that, and this is a huge hypothetical, do you think that the the collective West, they want Ukraine to, to do this offensive, knowing that they're going to lose so that they, they can then say, um, you know, Ukraine launched the offensive, they lost. That That's that. And it gives them the political cover, not the military cover. It gives them the political cover because everything is being decided on a political level. Uh, you, you did your, your live stream on locals uh, yesterday evening, and everyone should find us on locals and join our locals. But you did your exclusive live stream, and, and one of the questions from uh, one of the viewers was whether this conflict is uh, 
is being run on a political level more than a military level. And I was listening to it and I'm like, yeah, I think it's like 90, 90% of it is now yes. on a political level. So do yes. you think this is – maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe I'm, I'm throwing a huge hypothetical out there. But perhaps as a politician, you know, if you're in the US or you're in Brussels, you say, just do the, do the offensive. If you win, great, <laughs> great. If you lose, you know, I, I can then go back to my people and say, look, you know, we gave them the, the, the money. We gave them the weapons. They failed. Um, let's talk about Taiwan. I don't know. <laughs> what, more, what more can we do? <laughs> I mean, this is the other thing. This is the Bloomberg article, actually, makes exactly that same point. I mean, the, you know, that the West can't give more. They're absolutely up to the limit. They're not in a position to give more. We've given all these weapons. We've given it all this material. If Ukraine can't win with all that, then realistically, we have no choice but to wash our hands of this business. And if the Ukrainians, with all that we've given, don't launch their offensive, we're also going to wash our hands of this business. I mean, the, you, you're getting some comments to that effect also. The Americans are apparently telling the Ukrainians, look, if you don't want to launch your offensive, then sit down and negotiate with the Russians. I mean, we've done all we can. We can't be expected to do more. We brought you to this point. We've given you a, a year when you wouldn't have survived without our help without a year. And, you know, you've got Burrell saying that. We've got uh, Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence in the US, saying that, that they couldn't keep going for more than a few days without our help. If you can't win, just admit it, except you've lost, talk with the Russians and let us go about our business. And <laughs> so that is exactly what, in effect, they're saying. They don't want to have the Ukrainians turn around I think, at this moment in time, and call off the offensive because the West, Western public have been prepared for this offensive. But if it doesn't succeed, well, we've done what we can. We now move on to other matters. Yeah, that may be why Zeluzhny is, is in hiding. No. I mean, maybe he realizes, you know, I'm going to get blamed for, for all of this. I'm going to be the fall guy, so I don't want to be the fall guy. Well, exactly. I mean, that is exactly what it's all about. That's why Sirsky has exiled himself to Bakhmut and Konstantinovka, where he is, so that he's not in a position where he has to take phone calls because he can say, I'm dealing with the fight in Bakhmut. I don't want to be involved in Zaporozhye or any of these places. And in Zaluzhny's case, that's exactly what it is. I mean, he doesn't want to be participate in these meetings. It's not because he's dead. He doesn't want to answer questions. He doesn't want to be put in a position where Western officials ask him, where is this offensive? When are you going to launch it? What is going to happen? He doesn't want to answer those questions. He's embarrassed to. So that's, that's what we have at the moment. And you have Zelensky, who's the front man, He's going out telling everybody, well, we're going to postpone this offensive for just a little. We're not quite ready there. But if we launch it now, we're going to have suffer thousands of casualties. Since when has Zelensky been bothered about Ukraine suffering thousands of casualties? Now he is worried about it. Or so he says. So he tells the BBC. So we can't launch this offensive now. It would be too costly. So we're postponing it until we're stronger 
But of course, as you rightly said, they're not going to get stronger. The West has nothing more to give, essentially. Well, there's some leopard ones coming. There's the 30 Abrams tanks coming in the fall. But that's essentially it. There's the storm shadows. We're going to discuss that in a separate program. Um, they're not going to change anything fundamentally. So there's nothing big additional coming. And in the meantime, as you say, the Russians are systematically bombing and taking Ukraine apart. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're bombing warehouses, ammunition depots, oil storage facilities right across Ukraine. And there's nothing to stop them because the Ukrainian air defense system is very heavily depleted. And the Ukrainians have themselves admitted they have no response to these Russian guided bombs and their high mass missiles apparently aren't working properly anymore because the Russians are jamming them and the JDAMS bombs aren't working properly because the Russians are jamming them too. And of course, with every single day, the Russians build up their fortified lines more thickly. They send more troops to the, they, they train up more of their troops. They send more tanks. The Russians get stronger. The Ukrainians get weaker. So postponing the offensive, as I'm sure the Western leaders would be pointing out to the Ukrainians, actually doesn't answer, doesn't solve any problems. But the Ukrainians don't want to launch something which they know will fail. OK, uh, do, do you think this may be some sort of fake from uh, from the West and from uh, Elensky, saying that they're not ready to launch the offensives, illusion goes missing, and maybe this is all just a really elaborate kind of fake out, and they're going to go on the offensive next week in a big way. That's question it is number not one. And my second question is, and my second question to finish the video is, what what does Russia do, if anything? Does Russia go on the offensive, or do yes. they just do what they've been doing? And just yeah chip away slowly, slowly. Yes. Now, these are two good questions. First of all, is this all an elaborate deception exercise? It might be. I mean, for all I know, it might be. But I, I don't think so for two reasons. Firstly, I mean, Zaluzhny disappearing from sight and Sirsky going to Bakhmut, you know, hanging around the outskirts of Bakhmut all the time, as I said, fighting his own private war. I mean, that doesn't seem to me like the kind of thing you do as part of a deception exercise. And everything that we know about the state of Ukrainian, the Ukrainian military is consistent with what you would expect if the Ukrainians really had their doubts and wanted to postpone things. I just don't think that this is a deception exercise. I think that this is um, that this is the truth, that the Ukrainians do have their doubts. I think it is true, the truth, that the West also has its doubts. I don't think that news management in the West is that disciplined. So that if there really were, you know, millions of shells in Ukraine and thousands of tanks, we wouldn't know. We 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 would be deceived, and we wouldn't know about them. Now, you know, having said that, we have to allow for that possibility, and there's also a possibility that even if what we think 
is true is true that Ukraine's forces are indeed as depleted as they are, that they don't have the tanks, they don't have the men. They might still launch that offensive next week because the pressure on them to do so is so strong. It's exactly the point that we made in that recent video we did, the, the point that you specifically made, that they box themselves in. They've created all these narratives and they can't really escape them. They're tied into the narrative of an offensive. They can talk about postponing it for a little, but then it might be that, you know, a little becomes just a few days or a week because they're now being called out and they feel they have to do it because if they don't do it, whatever remaining credibility they have just gets shot to pieces and the Western powers will just walk away from them. So, you know, there could be an offensive at any time. My sense is this is not a deception. I suspect that the Ukrainians really do feel that this isn't going to work. Everybody's trying to distance themselves from it, but they might still be pressed into doing it anyway. So that's my, my own view. I don't think this is a deception operation. Now, about the Russians, there is actually increasing amount of talk amongst the Russians that they might launch an offensive of their own. I, I, I'm getting the sense that some Russians, some Russian officials are getting more confident. And you're listening to, if you listen to people like Vladimir Rogov, who is the acting uh, well, no, he's, not, he's, he's a senior official in the Russian-appointed Zaporozhye regional government. And Sladko, who is um, the acting governor of the Russian-controlled regions of Kherson region, they're now increasingly talking about the Russians going on the offensive. And it could be that that is the Russian plan. That's where we get back to this business about the Kremlin, keeping everything completely quiet and secret and not telling us what they're intending to do. My own sense is that that's not what the Russians are going to do for the moment. They're going to just press on, continue as they're doing. They're going to tidy up the Bakhmut situation, capture Avdevka at some point, gradually grind on until they've besieged uh, Slavyansk and Kramatorsk and pushed on towards the Dnieper. So I think they're probably, they're, their actual plan is to keep doing things as they're doing things now, rather than launch these big arrow offensives that some people think. Uh, they've, that's to the extent that the military chiefs are talking, the actual Russian military officials people like um, Alaudinov, who is a Russian commander of Chechen background. That seems to me what they're saying. But then again, we don't know. And the Kremlin wants us to remain in ignorance of this. They're keeping silent. They're telling us absolutely nothing. They're not giving away anything about their plans. They're being completely inscrutable. And I think that people in the West really don't know. Yeah, I just want to make a final comment. If uh, if this isn't some big elaborate fake out from uh, from the collective West and from the Ukraine side of things, then anyone that has managed people in any profession knows exactly 
what Saluzhny and Sirsky are doing. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing. It's like you have this this project that you want to hand over to these two employees, and uh, this project is going to be a big bust. And the one guy is saying, oh, you know, I can't. I can't deal with this project. I'm busy with this thing over here. That's Sirsky. He's saying, I don't have any time to, to dedicate to this to this task because I've I've got my hands full here in Bakhmut, and the other guy is just calling in sick. <laughs> if this is not some big elaborate fake out, that's exactly what these two guys are doing. And anyone that's managed people knows knows this. Absolutely, I, I think you you described it precisely. And I just would say that uh, you have been a manager, you have managed people, so you're speaking from experience, uh, and, and that's exactly how it looks to me. Right. It could be some big elaborate fake. It could be something. It could is, be something. This is, it, this it is so be, crazy. It could be something. Well, I mean, this is the craziest war that there has ever been. I said that the, the things are getting very bizarre. I mean, the the the, the, the display of the Kinjal missile um, in Kiev. I mean, I mean, if that isn't bizarre, then I just don't know what is. I mean, this time, I should say, the the, the, the stunt was so ridiculous that even the British media didn't fall for it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't see anything about it in the British newspapers today. And that's that's saying a great deal, because anything, however ludicrous that comes out from Ukraine, they normally just go out and regurgitate it. But this one was just was just too preposterous even for them. And Newland calls up Klitschko and sends Klitschko to to provide video evidence. I'm convinced that Newland was the person that called Klitschko and said, "Do a video in front of the missile." And Klitschko, who's a great boxer but not too too sharp <laughs> up here, yeah. he did it. And you don't have to be a military nothing to understand that that's not a Kindle missile. Well, all, I mean, well, all I will say about well, all I will say about that is this. I, I am not somebody who knows much about missiles or bombs. And as everybody knows, I am I don't have particularly good vision. I mean, not not for close up things. Even I can tell immediately the moment I saw this thing that that is not a Kinjal missile or any part of one. I mean, y y y you see the size of the things that um, Klitschko was showing and you see an actual Kinshaw missile. And, and the dimensions of the one are so much bigger than... I mean, the whole thing was just ridiculous. And in fact, nobody, nobody had any difficulty on, you know, the Russian or the Ukrainian side. in said, this isn't a missile at all. It's a BTAB 500 <laughs> concrete piercing piercing concrete bomb, whatever that is. But anyway, and, and there have been pictures of these bombs and you can see how, in fact, that is what, you know, this, is, this was. So, I mean, you know, this was a ludicrous affair. And again, notice that the Ukrainian military, the air defence people, again, had nothing to do with it. They have continuously denied that they shot down a Kinjal missile. And they were they 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 boycotted the entire event, and I'm pretty sure, by the way, you're right that the initiative came from someone in Washington because I think many people in Ukraine are very embarrassed by this affair. Uh, just a final thought, and let's wrap up the video. My question to you is: Do you believe that 
First of all, I mean, if you don't laugh at everything that's going on, you're going to cry because, I mean, this is the craziest freaking conflict I think I've, I've ever reported on. But um, do you do you think that incidents like this Kinzhal missile, this debacle, do you think there are people in Ukraine, especially in the high command, who see this this nonsense and say, you know, these people in the State Department or in the Pentagon, whatever – yeah, they're giving us money and weapons and all of these things, but they're they're, they're useless. I mean, this must be waking up some yes. people somewhere in uh, the Ukraine military when they see stuff like this. I have no doubt you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I get to make a prediction, which is that when all this is all over, um, there will be a massive backlash against the the West in Ukraine. And you will see many of these Ukrainian military commanders feeling very betrayed and very angry about the way in which they've been used. And they will see the West for what it really was, that it led led them and Ukraine up the garden path, the primrose path, as has been referred to. And you could easily see some of these people changing their changing their political stances completely. And I think you're absolutely right. I'm sure that, you know, people like Yuri Ignat, the head defence chief, who strikes me, you know, as being one of the more professional people in the Ukrainian military. I mean, I get the sense that he is hugely embarrassed and very angry about this affair. And if it's come from Washington, which I suspect it has, this whole ridiculous display that we saw yesterday, I mean, he must be absolutely seething about it. All right, uh, thedoran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.